Welcome to Beyond the Roadmap, Product Talk with AWH, a podcast for product people by product people. Join us as experts share their experiences and expertise to help you build great products. Jim, thank you so much for doing this. Um, it's been a minute since we, we've hung out, and I and I think that we first met probably eight, 10 years ago, running around, you know, the Columbus sort of product scene, right? Speaking at, at you know, the, the product um, conference um, and that sort of stuff. So we've known each other for a while and I've always been fascinated by the fact that y- you, you were approaching creating a product very much rooted in process <clears throat> around a pretty familiar challenge for companies and sort of business, you know, process for companies um, around change management. Um, And we're going to focus the conversation really on that intersection of process and product. Um, But you don't even look at change management as sort of change management. You think about it at least through a slightly different lens. So maybe we could start there and sort of ground the conversation and, how do you even sort of think about change management and, and you know, that, that sort of aspect of, of the process side of the equation? Yeah, sure. I, I think this is a, a wonderful topic. Um, Ryan, I, I was uh, a young kid literally going to college with a full-time job um, and, and way back. And I had the title of product manager and nobody knew what it was then. And uh, I think that's still true today. Nobody really does what it is. Um, But um, this intersection between process and product is is interesting to me because when the the whole movement of product development, and of course, now I become a a high-tech founder, right? Whatever the heck that means. And and so I I delved into it. I wanted to see, you know, what what did I miss while I was busy working, right? Is, Is there something around this? And to me, I found um, I found it was a little lonely in my initial discovery over the last handful of years, because um, so many product people were not process people. So I felt out of place. I, I felt like I was in a, in a strange place. To me, um, it, it's the key is fitting into your user's process, right? And even if Here's the key, even if they don't actually perform that process today. So that's where some of the magic happens, right? It's not necessarily just matching. Um, but um, from a change leadership standpoint, I've always been a bit of a renegade. I started out on the street doing it. Um, that first job I told you about, we did 38 acquisitions while I was there. I was a young punk. I really thought naively that everybody's job was like mine that we were all implementing large change in big companies. I just thought that was normal. And, and I didn't know there was academics about it. I didn't know there were associations. I was working 90 hours a week. You know what I mean? I, I, I was just doing it. And um, so from a change standpoint, I really skipped over that whole kumbaya movement around what people call change management. You know, you, you ask somebody on the street and, and they'll tell you something, oh, that's communication or that's training. I, I found something very, very different. While we do communicate and we do train people, it's really very practical is the sense that I take. So unfortunately, to try to boil it up as we try to boil things up all the time, we, we take this 
you know, make everybody feel better. And let's talk about resistors and stuff like that. And for me, it's just not that way at all. I, I'm, I'm busy implementing large change in big companies. And the way it works for me is very practical, practical things you do every single day that ends up getting you there. But so my, my take is, is, is very different from most. My clients find it refreshing. I think I'm on the right track with this. It's been my life's work, so I hope so. But again, very different from what we typically think of it. And so from a product standpoint, start matching those things up now. I have to help convince you that there is a different way, maybe a better way than you became certified in, for example, right, that we need to overcome so that we can get to the real work where we're actually adopting change and we are not creating Dilbert cartoons within our companies, right? That's that's really what I'm I'm all about around around this topic. And, and and so you've been professionally immersed in change leadership, really, from from the beginning. From you know that's been the entirety of your career. Yeah, my my second job, Ryan, was implementing a large computer system, like a twenty five million dollar project project in big banks. So that was the second thing I did. Again, I, I was too busy to notice that I thought everybody did this stuff, right? It, that it was even a specialty. But yeah, I've been immersed in it my entire life. I, I, I joke that this is how I lost my hair, right? This is, uh, yeah. How much of, of change leadership, as you put it, um, it is um, clearly the processes are important, right? And, and the practicality of it is, is as you described, is important. How important is it on top of that, or maybe as a precursor to that, to understanding what what you want the outcomes to be and what what sort of success looks like, and then driving it the and filling in the gaps process wise to get from it from point A to point B. Yeah, so there's a bit of back and forth that happens mentally, intellectually. Uh, on the one hand, you have to understand what the goal is. And so a lot of what's out there, if you were trying to educate yourself on change management, you would be reading and looking at, would focus on those outcomes, right? Because you're, you're uh, a neophyte into the process if you're looking at that material. So we have to ground you in something, right? So let's start with the end in mind, right? Good principle to have. And let's talk about all of that. That's where we then tend to stop or stumble. And we need to go backwards and say, how, how do we get there? Right. And becomes about process. So, you know, there's a there's a famous acronym and, 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 you know, that people have put out there from a change standpoint. And, and I can't argue with anything about that acronym. Everything it talks about from a mindset standpoint is is perfectly true. The question, though, then is how do we get there? So I, I have a client right now that I'm working with and they talk to. They wanted to bring in an expert in this area because they had stumbled and, and they wanted to not stumble in the next one, et cetera, that concept. They interviewed six or seven people. And, and, and when they got to me, I was recommended to them. And, and they said, you know, you're just different because everybody talks a good game. But as soon as we start asking questions, it's not like they've actually ever done it. Right. And so that's that's the problem we have in that whole space or industry of change management. It's, it's called OCM. It's called organizational change management. I actually play with the words a little bit and call it change leadership. Uh, you'll hear me say that instead. I'm not trying to correct you. I'm, I realize I can't change the lexicon of the world. But when you think about it, you really can't manage change. But you could lead through it. 
And that's really what the base principle is of my methodologies and my approaches to that. So when, the, when it came to product time, it was just a matter of, can I give you the tools to, to do those things so that we can get there, right? That, that's really how that marriage started to happen. And frankly, technology caught up with me, if you will. So long time ago, I, I wrote a methodology uh, it's thick, it's big, it's a procedural, it's a boat anchor. I, I thought it was like birthing a baby, you know, it's nine pounds, eight ounces, right? Um, but it was a bit of a cop-out at the time, right? Because I would tell you what to do, proceduralize it for you even. And, and then you would try to do it and you would find it to be too hard because you didn't have the tools. And when I was doing this, I built, cobbled together tools for myself. I'm not a technologist by any means, but very from a, from a, I need to get it done standpoint, I built tools. Well, I realized that that big book didn't have the tools with it. And so that's where we needed, we needed to put those, those things together. What I found, Ryan, is organizations have actually institutionalized not doing this the right way. What I mean by that is they don't really even get in trouble for not doing the right things around change anymore. It's like we've thrown up our hands, right? Like why, do you, why, do you, why do you think that is? Is it, is it just so hard to do or is it just because there's no, it's nobody's job, right? That, that they're, you know, change management is one of those things that people sort of, you know, begrudgingly get assigned to or if an acquisition happens, right? They put sort of together an in integration team, right? That's like, okay, you're now responsible for integrating this other company's systems, culture, people, processes into ours and ours with them. And it's just a team that sort of gets cobbled together to, to do it. And oftentimes that team isn't even together 18 months later, right? Or even at the same company, you know, et cetera. Why have we historically not been great at change management? Well, that, that's exactly the case. You described it perfectly. Um, so we... You're an up and comer, and so we're going to put you in charge of this big change that's happening. Go. Like, how how are you supposed to? Do, where did you, where do you learn what you need to know to be able to do that? I call it change leadership because it's really every aspect of leadership involved in doing that well, right? And when you're doing the big thing for the first time in your career, what are the chances? What are the chances of your success? Right, you have to fail and make some stumbles and, and have trouble with it, and then learn from that and get better at, at it. Uh, and then you become an old grizzled veteran like me, and you know you, you you're all cranky all the time, right? Um, but how do we how do we do that? And I think I think that the person who anoints you to do that as the up and comer, you know, the executive, that's how they went through it. So, you know, I got initiated in ninth grade football by the 10th graders because that's how we've always done it. And, and we didn't know any better. We didn't know a different way to do it. And I think that's really what's at play here. A lot of human nature going on. And so, and sociology going on uh, with this. And so here's the other problem. When you're doing this, so if I had to learn some task, I would start in a low pressure situation and I would take my time and step by step, I'd stop and ask you questions. You'd critique me and we'd go back and forth as you're teaching me. We typically don't have that opportunity in a change situation. We've never let you practice. We just threw you into the deep end. And so I think of it process wise, right? That's how my little brain works. And so if you think in terms of 
you read an article, let's say I wrote an article and you picked it up and you looked at it and you said, that's a really good idea. We should do that thing that Jim suggested in our change initiative. And, and then you realize that you didn't do step one, two, three, and four to get to the step seven that I wrote the article about. And so now you're reinventing the wheel. I have to figure out how to do the step seven. Oh, and I don't have all of the inputs that go with it from a process standpoint because I didn't do that other stuff because, you know, it's not important. Uh, and now I'm in trouble. And again, I throw out my hands and I don't do it. So we talk about things like lists of risks. You know, some executive is going to ask for a risk assessment list. What do we do with that? Anything? We just know it's going to suck? Like, that's... <laughs> And we're, we're comfortable with that. Like we're not even hearing ourselves talk, you know, right. to see how silly some of this stuff is. But literally a Dilbert cartoon is going on and we're not aware of it. These aren't, these aren't unintelligent people. These aren't uncaring people. Um, it's just that they have not experienced this or they don't know better, if you will. And it's a lot of a hope and a prayer. And so what I try to do is, you know, what I had to do for that change initiative I mentioned, that client situation, is I had to say, okay, Though that acronym's great. We all agree. Now, how are we going to get there? And the reaction was, wow, this is so much more actionable. Yeah, right. That's what we're trying to do. Like actually do things um, very practically, very step-by-step, -step, um, very, we, we work with you here so that we can work with you there, right? And we've built up the account so that we can, we can work with you as opposed to showing up the night before and communicating with you or training you or whatever it might be that you think change management is. And, you know, how do we lead you all the way through that process? And when we think about another phrase that I, uh, I use all the time, instead of stakeholder, I call those people constituents. Now there's the political connotation, which is unfortunate. So let's put that aside for a second. But what constituent means to me is that we actually care for those people. We care about those people. We're going to take care of them. Now, that sounds all social worker-like, right? Um, it, it's funny, when when I'm uh, in, a, in a corporate setting, they think of me as all soft and gooey and huggy and all that. When I, when I work with like a professional association, they think I'm some kind of raving lunatic because I, I, you know, like pushing to get things done. There's, there's this balance that we strike. Here's, the, here's how I strike the balance. It's not about let's all get together in a circle, hold hands and seance kind of things happen. And, and all of a sudden we're on board with the change. It's very practical step-by-step -step kinds of things. And bottom line, I'll tell you what it is. The secret is that if, if you're a constituent, you're, you're looking for, you're, you're just dying to have competence. So I want you, if you're leading the change that's affecting me, I want you to be really, really smart, right? And that means little things. You can't show up for a training session and say, I have no idea how you guys do it here, but this is how it works. No, stop. You can't do that because now I know you're not confident, competent. You're not prepared. You're not going to take care of me. It's not about the tricks we use in a facilitated Oh, bad board for me. Intervention. It's about actually doing those things that say, hey, I heard you because I care about you. I know about what the work that you do. And I'm here to help you get through this shift in whatever it is, new system, new process, whatever. 
so that you can get your job done. Now we're partners working together. That's where the that's how the kumbaya stuff happens. Nobody ever tells you that though. They just tell you everybody should get along and you know and they should have you know knowledge and you know you should uh, how right. So can we get from a process standpoint to that how? And when you're anointed into this position, as we described, you usually come from that world. You had some kind of process to do your job. So now I can say, hey, how about if we have a process for doing this nebulous, fancy thing called change management, right? And so let's use all your leadership skills you've built up. Let's Now, do you understand why we're doing this? Yes, because it's good. Yeah, okay, now you're getting it. And that's how we can make a shift. So it's not shiny. It's not pretty. It's not viral. It's, it's slogging kind of work, right? To really understand how all that, how we put all that together. And so that to me is the big long answer for why, why does this not work? And we basically say it's such a mystery that we're not even going to put any resources towards it, right? So that's what my product represents. You got to spend money. You got to do it maybe a little differently as a result. And uh, let's work through some of these issues and make your organization better as a result of being competent and good at this change leadership piece so that your constituents are saying, what's the next one? Come on, bring the innovation. I'm ready for it. I like how this process works. It makes my life actually better as opposed to worse. So that's it. Right. Well, and so most most products um, get, what's the right way to say this? Most products have to um, chase process, right? Because the people creating the products Sometimes they, they have exposure to the problem. Sometimes they have exposure to processes around the problem or solutions that people have tried, right, to solve the problem. And then there are processes associated to those solutions. But I would say, for the most part, most new products that are getting created, those product teams have to go learn about the processes around that problem, learn about the constituents, right, and their sort of role in those processes, you know, probably the, the product methodology that's closest to this is jobs to be done, right. Of, of sort of shadowing people and, and what are people doing inside of the current workflow and inside of the current process that the product is trying to either augment or replace, right. In, in some manner, but you came at it a little bit differently because you had already, you had already created the, the workbook, right? And you had already sort of given great thought to the processes, right? That you were then going to try to capture in a product. Do you think that that gave, and your product's called Constituent Hub, you know, for those that are listening, do you think it gave you an advantage in creating Constituent Hub that you already had such deep process knowledge around change leadership and if, if it did, what were the Achilles heels of that in creating the product of having so much process knowledge? Did that, did that create some challenges in creating the product? And that, did that bias you in any way in creating the product? Yeah, oh, absolutely. First of all, I can't imagine not having the process knowledge to do what I'm doing. Now, that's, that's not true for everybody. I'm not trying to <laughs> say this is, this is the lane. Uh, but I am a user of my product. Right. I, I, I needed things at my fingertips to be able to be effective, to be a change leader out there in the world. Now, for me, as, as, as an outside advisor and helping my clients do this, but a lot of what I'm doing is building their approaches that they're going to use going forward and leaving them behind. Right. So I'm a user of my product. Now, that's that could be dangerous, too, because um, 
you know, the, the, the type of founder that I am has to get input from potential users because by definition, with this lifetime of expertise that I've built up and I could demonstrate at the drop of a hat, no problem, let's go, I'll talk change with anybody. But I tend to think in terms of the ideal. I have to, to do that well. And when I'm thinking in terms of the ideal, that's difficult when I'm trying to translate that into a product because I can be so idealistic about how you have to do things to do it right, the right way that I can be forcing you in such a a tight structure that you really won't even use the product as a result, right? So there's there's this balancing act that's that's necessary. Now, Constituent Hub does a ton of things and, and it's very complex, but that's not because we did a jobs to be done approach to it and we said the more the more features our product has, the, the better it will sell. And that I'm trying to like create a, a, an enterprise uh, resource planning system that's going to take over the whole world. You know, we have, we have, to, we have to tighten our, our scope. Now, the reason our, our product is so complex is because change leadership is so complex, right? It's just the way it is. It's, it's what has to happen. We want to simplify, simplify uh, the, the uh, minimal viable product and all of that. <laughs> It doesn't apply to me. You know, I, it, none of this works if all of it doesn't work, right? So, so I, again, a, a constant back and forth struggle with the whole concept of product management, a good one. I, I, I embrace that struggle, right? Um, you know, adding bells and whistles isn't what it's about, but, you know, I want to try, for example, I want to try to break uh, or uh, draw some very specific lines. Our system does not do project management, Right. Uh, my my big book is called Change Project Management: The Next Step. Right, so there's there's some, there's overlap there all the time. Right, we're doing big programs of change. We're we're there's there's all that management part of it. So I I want to specifically say we don't do that. Now we assume that you have something for that. You have some kind of tool, whatever your tool or methodology is. We don't doesn't matter. You use whatever you use, <laughs> but some companies don't do anything at all along those lines, right? And big companies, big names, you know, they're human beings, so nothing's perfect, right? So what we had to develop because of that, I could easily say, for example, that's out of our scope. So from a change leadership standpoint, all those tasks that you should be doing, go put them in your project management tool, right? I could say that because that's out of scope, very literal. But what I had to do instead was say, do whatever you need to do from a project standpoint, a product standpoint, management part of it. But there are these change tasks and we do care about them very specifically here. So I need to build an action board within my tool just for those. Now, of course, if you want to use it for other things, you can, it's there. might be the only thing you have, so use it, but that's not our goal, right? So those kinds of balancing act type decisions from a product management standpoint are very important and directional from the standpoint of how usable your system is, right? We have to get in the way of a process that makes sense and aid you in that process. Otherwise, we're, we're going against the grain and that doesn't make sense. Um, so we're always working from that ideal to reality and trying to, to match that. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't have a complex system and it drives me crazy sometimes that it's so complicated. Um, but but we have to, to to do some of the things that we have to do 
um, within the process. Because what I want you to be doing is doing that process and then turn to our system and say, ah, here's how, here's what I need to plug into this to make me successful at this thing I'm doing. So I got to have that stuff there. Or when you turn to my system and it's not there, I'm not going to use this anymore. I'll go back to my old spreadsheets or cocktail napkins or whatever I use or keep it in my head. And then now we're defeating the purpose. So it's a, it's a difficult thing. And when I go to all the product management teaching things, um, and I, I hear the opposite of the way I live with this, right? frankly. So it's, it's a challenge. So I'm, I'm, again, I'm really glad we're, we're on this topic today. Well, and I wonder, because you referenced MVP earlier, and I wonder if there isn't a fundamental difference that if, you, if you're very um, sort of topic knowledgeable, process aware, and very immersed in, in the problem and, and the, the execution around a, a current problem versus trying to build something net new for a problem that you have sort of tangential knowledge and relationship to, if, if, if you're coming from a very process aware perspective, if, if that sort of inhibits MVP or, or maybe MVP isn't even warranted, right? It, as in your case, because you're coming with all this depth of knowledge and expertise, right? Where somebody who's building a product where they're only 10, 10, tangentially knowledgeable, mm-hmm. they've got to do a bunch of validation and iteration, right? As they, as they talk to customers and they, and they see what, how people are using it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I wonder if that isn't even a very sort of diametrically opposed, if you start in one position versus the other, that brings into question the, the value and validity of an MVP versus being, having to say, if you're coming from the process aware side, you know what, guys, there is no minimum viable here. This is it either does it comprehensively end to end or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, the product's no good. Right. And so with that said, I'm not going to close my mind to the concept of MVP, but I, I might have 30 of them going on at one time. Right. So I'm still using the concept, but not in the traditional way that we tend to talk about it. So I need to be very good as a product uh, person, uh, founder, uh, technical CEO, whatever the heck you want to call us at any given moment, to be able to pick and choose from these guidelines and these watchwords that we tend to throw around and always understand the context of where they're coming from. So when I, when I hear an MVP presentation, I don't immediately say that doesn't apply to me. I say, how do I take advantage of what they're trying to accomplish within the context of what I'm, what I'm trying to, to do with Constituent Hub? And, and so, you know, product has, has definitely helped me and shaped me. That whole like focus on that and paying attention to that. Um, we're, we're coming out with a, a hybrid of our system um, now, which you know, we can talk about a little bit later, but um, you know, it, it's definitely an offshoot of that. And it's saying, you know, what if there are different use cases for this that don't meet that ideal, right? So you don't have to buy in 100%, but we can still get you productive and get you using this. And you know, when I saw, for example, and this is how my little brain works again, um, when I saw, for example, that product people and agile people were so darn busy trying to explain agile and product and trying to experiment with it. Here was my observation and you can disagree with me if you want, but I think there's so much to that 
that our brains went like so far, like, let's just try it. Come on, let's, let's have a sprint. You know? <laughs> and, and let's just do that part. And what I realized was, okay, guys, what you're all talking about around the table is implementation and you forgot a pretty important part. Now I'm biased, but the whole adoption of this thing that you're building. So it became so much about building because there are so many trinkets and pieces parts to that that we needed to learn and understand. We were so busy, we're kind of almost full up and it became Friday and we're like, okay, <laughs> we're done now. It, well, how about if we tack this other piece in here? Because it's very interrelated to what we're doing. What if we did change impact analysis for every sprint? for every, every piece of your product that's coming out. And so maybe you can introduce these concepts of good change leadership without you saying, oh, that, that's, I, we don't do that, it's too much, right? And so how do we, how do we marry those things together? So I think we, we have to educate ourselves on how we educate ourselves to a great extent in this, in this world. I, I find it fascinating. Yeah, I think, you, yeah, I think you make a lot of interesting points. And the, the success of any digital product is the intersection of that product and the user's use, i.e. process, right, in and around that product, right? And, and one of the things, and you were sort of speaking to this now, is um, pro- products get built, that the team's building those products think that they understand the user, they've written good, you know, they have good personas, they have good, they have good user stories, they have good job stories, you know, et cetera, that even if they've been iterating and validating with users throughout the process, often when they then release the product or a feature of a product to users, right, it's not adopted and it's not received with the fanfare, right, that they would otherwise like. And it's because they never really evaluated well, what's the friction right now for my user with this product in place or this feature in place, right? I.e., how does their existence have to change, right, for this to now be part of their world? And that that friction, because that intersection of a product and process has friction associated to it, right? And the best product companies and the best product teams realize that friction is there at that intersection, and they don't assume that they've nailed it or they've figured it out through their product work. They take it one step further as you're describing and saying, well, what happens if there's high friction at that intersection, right? Then we're sort of screwed. So how do we figure out how close we are, right? To the users and processes and how much alignment do we have? I still think there is not enough respect given to that friction at the intersection of product and process because product teams just want enough feedback and validation to say, yep, we're building the right thing. And then we're mostly building the right, you know, the right thing. Right. And so then they sort of want to move on and they sort of just want to assume that they're, they're okay at that point. Does that make sense? And do you right. No. Yeah. The, the, the idea that we have a deliverable and I love deliverables, but the fact that we have a deliverable implies that we're done. And, and I don't like that about it. I, I think we need to be better at telling the story about the that crossroads that you mentioned, not user stories. I, I'm talking about telling the story, bringing the context to the situation. I think human beings are perfectly capable of, of understanding the idea that, look, we're, we're sending a rocket here. It's just going up and down. 
It looks like it's doing nothing, but it's to build this next step. But if we don't tell that story, we just think it's billionaires for, you know, frivolously, frivolously throwing their money away, right? So that, that's, you know, you can feel however you want to feel about it, but think about it from an innovation standpoint. Think about it from a product creation standpoint. We definitely do go in steps. We have to. We can't just build the whole thing completely, although I've done a little bit of that, right? But I'm pushing the boundaries there. But by the same token, we need to be able to explain that context. Here's where it fits. Here's how it fits for you. Here's, you know, you should get excited, but only this excited because you have to wait till next Thursday because the next part's coming and then you have to deliver on that, of course. But it's that context explanation, that story around how it's going. And that story is very much focused on the constituent. It's saying, how are you going to use this? So I tell stories like it's Thursday, Thursday afternoon, you have your weekly status report with the executive team. How long does it take you to get ready for that? Three hours. Because I'm drawing pictures and making charts and all this nonsense that they want. How about if you just pressed the button and showed the screen from our system instead and did change work for those other two hours and 45 minutes? Ah, that's how this works. Oh, okay, I'm getting it. But they don't need to know the intricacies of how we got there and how we build those, those pretty charts. But when they say, I don't want to do this thing because it's too hard for me to do in the process, I say, but you're not going to have the pretty chart. You're going to have to make one from scratch. And the data is going to be bad because it's not reflective of what you're actually doing. And because they understand the concept, the context of all of that, now they're getting the concept as well and saying, okay, now I'm going to adopt that change. I'm going to use that. I, I think in the products that I purchase, I, I don't see enough of that for me as a, as a constituent, right? So I try to bring that to, to our clients as well. And I think, again, we're trying to get finished. The sprint's over. We have a deliverable um, piece of the puzzle and we throw it uh, out there for feedback. And then we move on to the next thing is not necessarily the best mindset to use for this purpose. It, yeah. it accomplishes other things, but we have to be careful of that. Right. And, and, you know, release notes and release notes that even get, you know, issued to the users of, of oh, here's what's in this update, right? Um, it often are very superficial and very shallow and, and it, a, a user is supposed to sort of figure out, oh, well, that's what this means and that's what this represents but that doesn't mean that it's re removed any friction and they've got enough understanding, right. To know how they should value this particular update release feature, you know, et cetera. So, yeah, I think, I think we've got it now, now that we've gotten good at sort of the basic blocking and tackling, right. Now I think we need to evolve to the point where we get better at serving users by removing as much friction as possible by being empathetic to the user's state of, okay, now I've got to use this thing, but I don't exactly know how this is supposed to be changing my world, right? right. And, how, and how I'm supposed to operate differently now, given the fact that I now have this new thing that I'm supposed to now be taking advantage of that's supposed to make my job and my world better. Yeah, I'll say something controversial right now. I, I blame Apple. I, I blame Steve Jobs. You know, we came out with this pretty you know, tool, and there's no documentation. There's no explaining how you're supposed to use it. It's just supposed to be organic. And perhaps that product was so groundbreaking and so significant 
that that was true for that product. I'm going to call that a unicorn in the sense of the type of product that can get away with that. Uh, and I think we all decided as technology creators, well, then we don't need any documentation either. We don't need to explain the, the way the friction. They'll figure it out. Our product is going to be so good that they're, you know, it's just not true. The first thing I did, Ryan, when I decided we were embarking on this and I couldn't program the, our system myself, so I had, I had some time on my hands, I went and got a help system to integrate in because I knew that we were gonna have to help people along the way. I knew I had to be as fancy as I could to provide content that would help people through those, those um, crossroads that we talked about. And, and I think that's the way we should think more about, uh, or things we should think more about in our product development. How is this poor constituent gonna be using this and how's it gonna fit into their lives? Um, now, and again, I'm, I'm very process oriented, but I'm creating a process they've never used before in some cases, because remember, they institutionalize not doing it the right way. So this is new to them. But when they're using that process, it's going to fit. That's what we're going for. That's what we're looking for. So well, and that, that's, that becomes the focus of our, of our customer discussions and, and research more than it is about blue or yellow or right corner or left corner of a screen, right? That's, right. Well, because there, there are two significant challenges. One is process awareness and adoption, and then process uh, adoption inside of, of a product and the construct of a product, right? Mm-hmm. Um, processes outside of product can be somewhat pliable, right? Because you can sort of turn it sideways a little bit and you can say, okay, well, we're, we're going to follow the process, but we're going to do it this way versus that way. And we're going to put some sprinkles on top of it. And so we're going to get a little, a little bit of a different look and flavor, right? But when you then convert a process into a product, and now you've got the hard constructs, right, of the walls of the product around it, now you don't have those different flavors as easily and as well. And it's not quite as pliable, right? There might be a little bit of configurability, might be a little bit of customizable, you know, ability as part of it. But for the most part, you've got to sort of use and operate inside the construct of way the product team built that product for you as a user, right? And that's also the hardest thing for me, mm-hmm. right? So how do you work through that? How do you think about it? How do you work through it? Given your, your, pro, you know, you come from process, you've entered into product, but now you've got to balance the two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I have to find, I have to find the place where you can become a champion of shifting the process to the quote, better way. Number one, way before we talk about the product, right? So I'm blazing a trail. Um, I get all, I do change leadership around that, right? I'm just doing it to use my system, right? And then in the system, we have to build that flexibility, right? So it's, the, it's a very challenging thing. So give you an example. And the, and, and the reason we're doing a bit of an offshoot right now, uh, an add-on, uh, let's call it a carve-out of our system. For Just to give you a practical example with Constituent Hub, to start, we load all of the employees of your company. And our target market is 1,000 employees and above, um, usually larger than that as far as users of Constituent Hub. So we're taking all of your employees and we're loading them into our system. And then we're doing things to make the simplest that we're saying, oh, we have a new change initiative. That person's affected. That person's affected. And we we pull them in from that body of employees. 
Guess what we can do with that data now that we've never had before? We could see what the impact of change is across our enterprise, right? I want that. Now, but <laughs> can you get an upload of all those employees and, and refresh it on a regular basis and make that actually work? Um, let me let you in on a secret. Most large companies have no idea who actually works there. It's very <laughs> difficult to do, right? So there's that. Um, but then there, there are little things as well. So what we struggled with and we, we realized was there were different use cases. For example, one of my clients is, is on an acquisition bent right now. It's just part of their business model. And they're buying and then have to implement, bring them into the fold. Kind of my old days, so, you know, when I did that 38 times as a kid. Um, and so what's interesting is they, they could care less about their current employees from a change standpoint when they're dealing with those particular kind of change initiatives. They're caring about all the new people. We can get all the new people on a spreadsheet. That's easy. That's not the important part. So what I, what I looked at was what parts of Constituent Home can you use and benefit from without having all of those employees there? Well, you're not going to get that pretty enterprise view. Okay, gotcha. But I looked at the foundational core thing of what you're doing. And while we're talking about all that kumbaya stuff, what I'm busy doing is what's called change impact analysis, where I'm looking at how each person in their job role is going to react to that organizational change. And most importantly, what am I going to do about that? And that becomes my action board for change. Not we should get everybody together and, and have a meeting. It's we should talk to Ryan about how he's going to create invoices for clients based on this new uh, environment that he's going to be in. And can he do it or not? Now, I know that because I did change impact analysis. So what we figured out was, came to the realization was how important that function is. So now we start thinking about from a product standpoint and we say, okay, so we've got a client that's doing acquisitions. They could use what's called Change Impact Plus, which is just a carve out of our system. And they don't need all of the other pieces. How about uh, sole practitioners? People like me that you might hire to lead your change. They're doing this multiple times for different companies. Well, they don't want all those employees loaded into the system either, but they can guide what they're doing and get all, all of the nice things that come from that uh, with just that piece. What about product managers who, as we talked about, haven't yet gotten to the, the part of adding change leadership into what they do? How about if we take that change impact process and just tie it to the product uh, rollout type piece of that puzzle, even on an agile sprint by sprint piece by piece uh, product uh, release kind of a basis. Now we start to say, how could we be more flexible with our products so it's not tied directly to a process that you have to marry before you can use it? Um, and so there, it becomes, there creates some variability then within the product suite that you might not have. Again, when you're first starting out, you got to build one thing, right? And I, I get that. Now, what do we do with that one thing? becomes um, a reflection of our of our customers. So and, do you, think that, and do you think that it's, it's smart for people? Because <clears throat> many services firms, many consultants, coaches, et cetera, want to change their business model and or at least ha enhance their business model by having a product which has some intellectual property associated to it, some recurring revenue potentially, right? It's scalable where their service business and their consulting business probably is not very scalable. It's probably very time-centric and intensive. 
So, and, and you've been successful at doing the services, you know, consulting piece and then creating a product. Many struggle with that transition from being very sort of service process oriented to then having a product that sort of comes along for the ride in the sidecar. Yeah. Um, but, well, and by the way, I, I wouldn't have done Change Impact Plus first. All my product buddies would have told me to do that, by the way. They well, and that's where, I was, yeah, that's where I was headed. Would you advise people who are making this sort of change from process service centric to now having a product to create a product that is fairly encompassing of the process? Or should they look for a, a more narrow, specific niche opportunity inside of the process to start with the product? What's your view of, of where you should begin your product journey if you're coming from a very process-centric place uh, to begin with? Right. Well, I, certainly it would be malpractice for me to answer that question A or B without saying it depends on, on the environment, right? So, so let's get that out of the way. Um, I, I think if, so let me just give you my experience. I think if you have an end-to-end process and there are many of them strung together that make your process flow if you came from that consulting world, let's say. Um, it's okay to break out one of those standalone end-to-end processes, build the hooks to the thing before and the thing after for later. I think that's an okay business model to take. From my experience, though, I would have never thought to put my action board, it's a Kanban board, basically, in all of the things that it does that are pretty unique to our system, I wouldn't have thought to put that in Change Impact Plus if I hadn't already had that in Constituent Hub. Because that function spanned a lot of uh, functionality within the system, and I had to develop it completely in order to make that work properly. And only then can I say, oh, you know what? It's in a nice box with a bow on it. I can pick it up now and use it in Change Impact Plus. I don't know that I could have, so my product would not have been as good as a result. So there's some, there's some value there. And I, I, you know, we're limited by, constrained by resources. So um, that comes into play to answer your question very specifically. But um, to me, the best way was to de- develop the bigger piece rather than to come back and try to retrofit little pieces in. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that, that could just get so messy. And what tends to happen, I think, human nature-wise is we run out of time and we end up with a mediocre product as a result because we haven't solved all those little problems along the way. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you, you often end up with something that's sort of superficial and low value Right. Versus saying, man, if this is really an end to end process and, and this and, and every aspect of it is important, the product probably needs to represent right the major components of this end end process to be valuable to users. Because if we try to just sort of um, approach it, you know, from a helicopter you know, perspective and we give them a helicopter product, they're probably not going to find the tremendous amount of value in it. You know, a lot of what I'll do with executives, for example, is create a training program or a coaching program of some kind, right? And so often you you are you hear, well, let's do a pilot of that. Okay. Great, no problem. Now, tell me though, before we move forward, 
what are we going to do if the pilot is successful? Oh, we didn't think about that. (laughs) That's how we need to think about product. You know, I'm not going to create this little MVP without knowing what all the steps are. It isn't a, isn't a successful pilot, a win and good enough in and of itself. No, no, I'm I'm teasing you. Right. No, I know. And and I'm, I'm becoming passionate about it because of that. I don't think people get that, Ryan. No, it's not a success. Now, everything we learn in agile and product tends towards that answer though, to say, isn't that good enough? And we need that completion, that win. Yes, but w- w- what's the big game that we're playing, right? That that having that vision is so so important, and I think it fuels your product decisions as a result. You know, you, you you may say I can't do that today, but I have to build the hook to get there. I'm not going to give up on that because again, we're fighting human nature as we go. So that's that's an important piece of this puzzle. You said something earlier that I want to circle back to. You said that when you were when you were doing consulting and you didn't yet have Constituent Hub as a product, you were beginning to sort of uh, coddle together some tools, right? Mm-hmm. Just to sort of help you with your own work and, ha- and to make more sense of it and to be more efficient likely for you to, uh-huh. to serve clients. What did that look like? What was it? Were you, did you have some Excel spreadsheets over here and some other yeah, stuff over yeah. here? Yeah. You you had to bring up how old I was, didn't you? Yeah, (laughs) because yeah, let me tell. How did that help inform sort of the the initial you know underpinnings of Constituent Hub from that coddling that you did or of tool? Yeah, yeah. no, no, absolutely. It's a great uh, a great thing to talk about. What I used were were those um, user friendly pseudo user friendly database tools. Um, in fact, I use a product called DataEase. You know, you can actually like it, it was drag and drop of fields and database world, and and then you can compile it. It was just it was embarrassingly silly, um, but they worked for me. But I couldn't give them to anybody else. You know, it's, it's that kind of software. And but but what that did for me was it said there are this is a dynamic relationship kind of situation here and and what everybody else was doing was doing it on a spreadsheet and failing miserably and so they gave up on actually doing it because it wasn't workable i had it workable because it was in a relational database kind of a situation that again i'm not technical but that got me to the techie side of things like how could this work right and then i could build this i knew that back then because I had done it in that strung away, strung a long way, but I need a building. I need boxes of software and disks and all that stuff. We can't do that. The cloud is what allowed me to say, darn it, I'm going to solve this problem. Because when I wrote the big book, the methodology, it was a bit of a cop-out, you know, and and I I justified it by saying, well, every industry is different. So, you know, you could build your own systems around this. Like I did. I knew nobody was, could do that. Right. So when I worked with my clients with my methodology, it's my superhuman effort that made that happen. I can expect normal people to do that. Right. So that, that really fueled my, like, what's the system going to be looking like? And I had this, you know, cocktail napkin draw out of what it was going to work and how it's going to work. And I just had to wait till it caught up the technology caught up with me to be able to, to build this little old me in Westerville, Ohio, to build such a thing, right? Right. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a great story about data ease and how that sort of gave you the insight that everybody else trying to do it statically in Excel 
what w- was approaching it the wrong way, but you got the insight of man, if, if these things can be leveraged dynamically, right, that's the right way to do it. And if I can ever capture them a product, then, you know, I'd, pro- I'd, I'd have something. That's a really... And, and, and for the digit heads in our, in our audience, with some of the help from your organization, AWH, behind you, you know, our, our system actually has multiple database structures going on. So it's not just relational. It's, it's um, you know, it's using multiple different technologies to do different things because the system's complex. So that's that's a lot to uh, to take on when you're a, a user type person, not a technology type person. Um, but we have the capability now, technology wise, to be able to do such things. So I can have my little dream, and 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 your guys can say, "Oh, okay, this is how we're going to execute it." Um, so um, you know, we had some early early. You guys took a look at it very early years ago and, and gave us some tips and. And we, we ran with that. So uh, I appreciate that. But it just it goes to show um, this growth in, in what our capability is from a technology standpoint. So, yeah. So we've got a, we've got a few minutes left. If people want to get in touch with you to continue the conversation, um, you know, get advice. Where, where can they hit you up? Where can they find you? I think the best place, the most relevant, I got two websites, jimcanarucci.com, but I, I think the best place probably is constituenthub.com. Uh, and you could take a, a trace through at least some of the marketing materials and get a feel for, for what our system does if you're interested in that. But also it's a good way to contact me. It's an easy way to contact me. And I'm, I'm happy to, uh, you know, go back and forth over, over these concepts that we've discussed. I, I, I enjoy that. So it's not a burden. I, I would love to hear from people. Yeah. Awesome. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to get together and chatting over the last, uh, 55 minutes or so that it's been, um, good to see you, my friend. And, uh, a very interesting conversation. I enjoyed it. I hope that uh, people attending it and those that watch it online hopefully uh, get some good value out of it as well. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I, I really appreciate it. And I look forward to many more conversations. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, everybody. See you. Need some help with product? AWH is a digital product consulting, user experience, and software development firm here to help you create great digital products. Check out www.awh.net or follow us on Twitter at AWHNet to learn more.